Some rumors out there about who the next defensive coordinator could be for the San Francisco 49ers. We'll try to wade through those and find the truth there as we await, like everybody else, the news. And Combine Preview. Combine starts next week. What are the 49ers looking for in Indianapolis? All that and more coming up on today's Locked On 49ers. You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers. Brian Peacock and Eric Crocker at BD Peacock at Crocky 209. Thanks everybody for making us your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We love all the everydayers out there. And uh, like the everydayers, you should subscribe on YouTube and everywhere you get your podcasts and uh, crock it's about to be combine time we're going to see guys running around in shorts and uh it's going to be fun and we're going to be all excited about it because there's a lot of players the 49ers could be drafted and they got a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of draft picks to utilize in the first round and the second round and the third round so that should be a lot of fun so i want to talk with you about what we're looking for in indianapolis what do you think the 49ers are going to be looking for there and what's important what is actually important at the scouting combine every February and early March. But first, Croc, defensive coordinator. The 49ers do not have one. And there's no hard news about who that guy could be that's calling plays for the 49ers. And this is late in the process to not have your coaching staff filled out because you need those coaches in and you need them scouting players for that defense too, right? So um, being that we have no news about who this defensive coordinator could be for the 49ers that tells me that the next defensive coordinator of the 49ers isn't employed by another NFL team except one rumor about Jeff Ulbrich who is currently the defensive play caller for the New York Jets now that doesn't at all pass the sniff test because why would somebody allow their play caller to go be lateral move play caller for another team unless Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, says, I, I kind of want to call plays now anyway, and, and maybe I'll help out my old buddies in San Francisco. And, and maybe Jeff Ulbrich, who uh, you know was a 49er, was a 49er draft pick, and grew up, I believe, Morgan Hill, south of San Jose, would just really love to come back home, and that's the job he wants. That's his dream job, and maybe they would allow that to happen. Maybe those conversations are happening, but it would have to be an official request by the 49ers to interview such a man. And once those requests are made, they become very public very quickly. So that request has not been made best I can tell by the 49ers. So we're talking about in-house or unemployed guys, Bill Belichick, maybe college guys. Cause those sometimes don't get leaked. If you're a college coach, some we're seeing head coaches jump from uh, being a college head coach. Jeff Halfley did it. Former 49ers coach to be the defensive coordinator of the green Bay Packers. So, it could be a pretty wide net, but it doesn't sound like it's somebody who's on another coaching staff in the NFL because those requests have not been made yet. Do you prefer one or the other? It, it feels like for Kyle Shanahan, I would prefer uh, an in-house guy that, that just knows him, that understands, you know, how he moves, how he works, just that dynamic between how this, you know, relationship is going to work. And I think that's going to set the defense coordinator up for the best successful uh or most success possible. But do, do you think that's the case as well? Yeah. I mean, your first question was, what do I prefer? 
I guess Bill Belichick would be pretty cool if we're talking about someone who's not employed by a current NFL team. But yeah, you um, want to yeah. just be a defensive coordinator? I, I don't see it at all. I don't see. I, it. I was I was watching the um, on Netflix. They have this series on the Buffalo Bills losing four straight Super Bowls, and one of the Super Bowls that they lost was to the New York Football Giants. And you look on the sideline, and it's Bill Belichick calling defenses. And I mean, this is a lot of years ago, and I just got to thinking. I don't get the sense he wants to return back to that role. Like he's been at the top of the mountain for so long. And obviously a, a lot of coaches, they, they become a head coach and it doesn't work out. They become a, a coordinator, you know, where, where they originally did. I don't know if that's in the cards for Bill Belichick. He just feels like a CEO type guy. I can't see him going backwards. Yeah. I don't see Bill Belichick deferring to anybody. That's why I think the consultant role would be really nice if you wanted to, to go down that path. And then there's, scheme like the 49ers aren't really set up to run the defense the bill belichick has run and that's a multi-year process of getting the people in and learning a new system and i don't think the 49ers want to do that i don't think that um fred warner wants to do that i don't think nick bosa wants to become a stand-up rusher in a three four front right so uh there's a, there's a lot of reasons why it's not a fit and it doesn't make a lot of sense but having some of that knowledge on how to attack different offenses and um and maybe Belichick would like to pick Kyle's brain about how to defeat uh, an offense that's half the league now, right? Because uh, that that McVay Shanahan tree is literally half the play callers in the NFL on the offensive side of the ball. So maybe someone like Belichick Belichick would say, "Okay, this is beneficial for me for one year to you know be a sounding board for you defensively. You can be the sounding board for me. What I'm looking for to defeat offensively." And Bill Belichick's a better coach for it next year when he does take a head coaching job. So maybe that, but. I can't see it. I can't see Vrabel. Ego's huge in this too, Croc, right? Like you're a head coach, you're the CEO, you're the GM of everything. You're going to go be a, a defensive play caller for a team. No, uh, that doesn't that doesn't make sense for any of the, the big name guys, specifically for Bill Belichick and, and Mike Vrabel. I you know, was scrolling through the old X app and I saw Jeff Halfley. Obviously, he's former defensive back coach for the 49ers. He went and was head coach, well, actually, he was first defensive back coach for Ohio State. Then he was the head coach for Boston College. Now he's returned back to the NFL to be a play caller. And he talked about how becoming a head coach at Boston College allowed him to be a better defensive coordinator at the NFL level. I still don't think that that is in the cards for Bill Belichick. And I see a lot of people get excited about that. You talk about the personality that the 49er players are looking for and why part of the reason why maybe, uh, you know, Wilkes wasn't a great fit. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he can't be in the booth because they need to feel the energy. They like Robert Sala. It, then, do you want to go get the hoodie and think that he's going to feel that? Or do you just think from an X's and O's standpoint, he's so great, it would be a better fit than what you got from Wilkes? Because the energy and being on the sideline and being that guy that's pumped up, that was a lot of what I saw the fans kind of complaining about when they wanted Wilkes to go down to the sideline. Yeah, and Wilkes, Wilkes wasn't a, isn't, isn't a chest bump guy even when he is down on the sideline, and, and neither is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's like a get-out-of-my-face guy to his players. Do you remember the player who was the special teamer? I think it was a rookie last year where he picked up a fumble on like a punt return or, or kick coverage or something like that, and he tries to give the ball to Bill Belichick on the sideline? Do you remember <laughs> that? He was like a rookie, uh, long-haired dude. And he was like so excited. And he's like, got the ball for you, Bill, like on the sideline after he comes off the field. And Bill's like, get the hell out of my face. What are you doing? You know, he's like, it was so funny, man. Uh, the guy is so excited, too. Um, but yeah. And to be honest with you, 
if if Steve Wilkes was more comfortable calling plays from the booth, let him call plays in the booth. Could he have made better Super Bowl adjustments if he was in the booth looking down and had a better angle on it if he prefers that than if he's on the sideline? You know, I mean, obviously with that that ship has sailed. But yeah, if it's not a fit, then it's not a fit, and, and don't try to force it. And um, as Painey sixty four says in the chat, who is the most likely internal candidate? And I think. Internal candidates seem like they're most likely. It feels like that's the way it's going right now and doesn't have to be publicized, those interviews that they're having with those in-house candidates. And there's really four candidates. Um, I think the least likely of the four is probably Chris Kosurik, as highly thought of as he is. I think he wants to, and I think the 49ers kind of want him to, from everything I've gathered, be the defensive line coach. And he's a well-paid defensive line coach, and he's one of the best in the league at it. Keep him there doing that wide nine front Niners are going to keep that wide nine front and keep that system. And it's a matter of who's going to call the plays. So Johnny Holland linebackers coach, Nick Sorensen, who's a defensive pass game DBs coach and Daniel Bullocks. I mean, those feel like the three most likely candidates. If I had to guess right now, Nick Sorensen, he looks like a defensive coordinator for, for whatever reason. He looks like he potentially be good at it. Got to play in the league and, you know, work the back end of things. Uh, the thing I don't know quite well, and I, I see this a, a lot from the 49 fan base. I'm not quite sure the answer, but uh, right here, have, have at you says need a coach who can mesh the secondary and the front. Wilkes had those two units working separately. I made a couple of phone calls because I, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. So first it was my guy, uh, Will Blackman. I said, man, what does that mean? And he kind of gave me like this runaround answer that made it very clear. He doesn't know exactly what that means. So then I called my guy, Desmond Bishop, and, you know, he's the defensive coordinator at my high school where, you know, I'm the secondary coach. He does a lot of front end work. I do a lot of the back end stuff. Uh, but still, I'm not quite sure. So I asked Desmond, hey, Desmond, what does it mean that the front end and the back end aren't working together? And he's like, uh. I don't know. I think that's just 49er fans making stuff up <laughs> like because they're trying to pinpoint what the issue is. Yeah. So I'm not saying people are making things up, but that is something I've heard a lot. And the only thing that I can think of, and this is one of the answers that Des gave me, just trying to wrap our head around what that may mean, is that maybe you are blitzing and leaving guys on an island that should not be left on an island. Or maybe you're not blitzing enough and you're making guys have to cover longer that can't cover longer. Like it's more of a uh, an ability thing as opposed to uh, a bad schematic thing from the standpoint of oh, you shouldn't be doing these two different things because they don't work together. I can see that. Or schematically, that you're you're sending pressure but not getting home and pressuring the quarterback, which just means the quarterback's still not pressured, but there's fewer guys in coverage, so there's more yeah. space. We're, we're trying to figure it out for the faithful man. Yeah. I've been making phone calls to my guys. <laughs> I'm not surprised Will Blackman didn't know. Eric Crocker doesn't know. DBs don't know what's going on up front, right? There's Desmond no, Bishop, no. linebacker, one of the Super, like, one Super Bowl. Linebackers know. So Des Bishop, maybe Johnny Holland should be the guy then. Linebacker <laughs> coach, he should be your defensive coordinator. There you go. He can marry what's in front of him, what's behind him uh, in those thirds of the defense. Uh, next, let's talk combine. What are the 49ers looking for in Indianapolis to draft in April next? Today's episode of Locked On 49ers is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue, the perfect city drive or great escape drive. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, Google Play, Store, 
are all built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. And what about the 2024 Nissan Armada that will change what you expect from a full-size SUV? Picture a rugged rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Nissan Armada. Armada. So take the Nissan Rogue, the new Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right. Everyone's going to descend on Indianapolis early next week. Um, a, a little pump the brakes, though, because this happens to me every year, Croc. And I was looking up the, the schedule of when guys are going to be working out. And really, the, the most fun televised portion of the, the combine doesn't happen until Thursday. And by the way, they changed up the format this year. It used to be DBs would go last. Uh, now it's going to be offensive linemen last. So Thursday, when they finally do hit the field, and it feels like an eternity from where we sit here on Thursday night doing this live, or if you're listening on, on Friday to this episode on the audio podcast, and it feels like an eternity once everyone gets to – to Indy and there's all the interviews and then there's medical checks and weigh-ins and you're like, all right. And you're like, nope, not, not today. Nope, not tomorrow. Thursday, they finally hit the field and you see those, those drills starts with defensive linemen and linebackers first Thursday. Then it's defensive backs and tight ends Friday. Then over the weekend, we're going to see some more uh, wide receivers, quarterbacks, and it's going to end with offensive linemen Sunday. So that is the new schedule this year with the position groups. They're doing it a little bit different there. But uh, to be honest with you, the the big picture question, people always ask, what's the most important drill at the combine? The most important drill at the combine is what the doctors say and what those medicals say about you, because that can have some of the biggest impact. So we don't really get privy to on television, the medical and the interviews, which is maybe the most important part of all of it for all these prospects in Indy. Definitely is. But you know what? I'm excited to watch for the secondary guys and watch them run. Uh, drills too. You know, I like to see how guys do certain things because, you know, the, the combine drills and whatnot, they might have ran a scheme that maybe they didn't do a lot of this stuff. I, I remember Josh Jackson, the cornerback out of Iowa. Uh, he was a guy who played a lot of off coverage, but kind of a lot of butt to his side, butt to the sideline type things. But when he got to the combine, he was asked to actually do a backpedal, and it was clear he didn't look very comfortable in the backpedal. So just kind of identifying some of those things to see who may or may not be a scheme or what things, hey, I really like this guy, but man, he needs to work on this. That's fine. We can fix that. Or you watch him in those drills, see him a little bit tight hipped, turn and run, not great. Ah, this might be a guy that we might have to pass on because some of the issues that we're seeing right here live and in person, not sure if those things translate well to the NFL level. It's funny because the most fun thing to watch is the fast guys, the DBs and the wide receivers run forties. But, and we've talked about this a lot, Croc, and it's a, it's a good time to remind everybody out there. The 40 time is not that important to wide receivers and DBs. You want to be not slow is the thing, but you go look at, and, and we did this, and, and maybe we can pull it up right now if you want. Uh, we looked at the top 10 or 20 fastest combine times over the last decade, two decades, or whatever it is. And it wasn't that some of the players weren't good. It was that most of them were not good NFL players that were the fastest runners, the fastest 40-yard times at both DB and wide receiver. And then on the flip side, you go to offensive linemen, and you look at the fastest 40 times for offensive linemen, and... 
they're almost all some of the best linemen that have been in the NFL over the course of the last decade or two. So um, I can't wait to see the big guys run because when an offensive lineman's 300 plus pounds and he's running sub 5-0 in the 40, that's an athlete. And um, that's uh, the short shuttle as well for offensive linemen, especially the interior guys getting out on the move and and hitting moving uh, pieces. And, and uh, I mean, it, it's so important. So as, as crazy it is to think, and it, it bears repeating, the 40 times are more indicative of offensive line success than they are wide receiver and cornerback success. I think that was very surprising when we stumbled upon that little nugget. I wouldn't say, was it last year? I know we went through it last year and we read off the names and it was a lot of like, um, there were some classic names. I remember that were guys that would flew, you know, ran four twos DBs and you know, they were maybe special teamers. And that was about it. But a lot of guys went really high. You know, remember Troy Williamson and and names like that. And every once in a while, you do get a uh, a Chris Johnson, right? CJ2K and someone that they're a dynamic playmaker on top of it. But if you don't see it on film, you don't draft them for the 40, right? So film trumps all of these workouts and all this stuff. And, and really what you want to see is you want to see a guy who's looks like he knows what he's doing on film. Really good player. Looks fast. Looks athletic. Looks strong. He shows up. He's the right height and weight. He does well in his testing and he interviews well and you just check all the boxes and say yep all the stuff i saw on tape we saw it here it marries up it matches we got a pretty good idea what this guy is yeah like mike mcglinchy or something right and that's why you would draft mike mcglinchy over mika fitzpatrick <laughs> yeah maybe it still hurts that still hurts and mike mcglinchy was a good 49er though like he he was not bad he wasn't a he wasn't a terrible pick. You just ideally would have liked. Man, can we get him at the top of the second as opposed to the top of the first round? But knowing that you you know it's like Mika Fitzpatrick, that was kind of my guy. This isn't my notebook that I had the Talisi Fuaga scouting report on, uh, but I wrote Mike McGlinchey's name down. I huh. said, if you didn't like Mike McGlinchey's anchor, you're gonna like. Talisi Fuaga because he's oh, not going to get hip toss like we saw McGlinchey do. And he's different and he might be a similar, which I think maybe is why Kyle Shanahan's going to love him. He's a good run blocker. And if he does one thing better than the other, he's a better run blocker than pass blocker, which McGlinchey was, but it wasn't because of an anchor. That's not his problem. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. When you were kind of throwing those two names out, I'm like, oh, one guy has a really good anchor. The other guy couldn't anchor. Well, maybe was a little too tall. So I yeah. think, uh, the office lineman that we previewed in yesterday's episode, I think he's right in that sweet spot, six foot six, you know, six foot five and a half, six foot six. But then the arm length, that might be something that hopefully uh, doesn't hurt him from being able to anchor at the NFL level. Great tone in the chat says Solomon Thomas over Mahomes and Watson. Um, the Mahomes versus Solomon Thomas, maybe that's one of those rare examples of maybe you shouldn't ignore the physical stuff you see at the combine when they're running around in shorts and maybe not lean too heavily on the personal and the interviews and how much you like a guy because Solomon Thomas was uh, maybe the only guy in NFL history. He's been drafted by a GM who went to class with him in college and uh, maybe they liked him as a person too much. And it, it, it sort of clouded some other measurable stuff and some other workouts from guys like Patrick Mahomes, and maybe they should have uh, weighed that a little bit more. So it, it's definitely not an exact science crock. Uh, Hind in the chat has a really good question. He says, is there a test on how to escape Kyle Shanahan's doghouse? I'd say that, uh, first of all, should we talk about like what exactly is that and what would he be looking for in these interviews 
uh, that maybe would allow a guy to avoid being able to get in his doghouse. And yeah. some of the guys that have been in there, you could kind of understand, right, whether it's like maybe a killer with this point or something. You could clearly see why he potentially might get in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. But hey. Brandon Ayuk, I think when you watch him play and kind of even how his mannerisms are, I think he was a harder one to tell that he would end up in Kyle's doghouse. But I think are we surprised that he was able to get out of the doghouse at all? That's the harder thing is to get out of it. So this is a great question. Let's get into that next. How What is Kyle Shanahan looking for, especially in some of these positions, because clearly some of the guys on offense are the ones that the 49ers have traded up to go get. And some of them been, have been worked out great, like Ayuk, and some of them haven't. And so, yeah, what, what are the 49ers looking for with these positions next? This next segment of Lockdown 49ers is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest, big or small. Certain things can really start to get to you. Uh, it's important to let that out, especially to someone who's unbiased in your life. And I can't stress enough, it is so important to not allow the small thing to become the big thing in your life. And that's why you got to get it out and uh, speak to a professional about whatever it is. It could be your favorite football team. And I know people take that too seriously at times and we try to help here but you might need to talk to a professional if it's if it's affecting your life and therapy can be different for everyone and most of us have a lot bigger problems than our favorite sports teams life um, relationships work whatever it is sometimes you just need a weekly check-in to make sure you're on the right path and hitting the goals you want to in your life so if you're thinking about starting therapy give better help a try entirely online designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule visit betterhelp.com slash locked on and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash locked on. You know how you get out of the doghouse, Croc? Don't get into the doghouse at all. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But if you somehow wander around and you find your way into the doghouse, you got to block your way out of the doghouse if you're a wide receiver, I think. Um, Kyle is... I think this is what it is. And I think if I had to guess, and I, and I don't know, I'm not in the room. I'm not in the meetings. I, I, I This is just me sleuthing it and try to piece things together and figure out how someone like Brandon and I, you've gone to the doghouse. It's really easy to see how someone like Dante Pettis got in the doghouse. But Brandon, and I, you, I think it's just, he wasn't, he wasn't doing things exactly like Kyle Shanahan wants. And Kyle Shanahan wants you to do things exactly like you want. Maybe it's effort as a blocker, but really it's like, if you don't take this route with the right leverage, this is a must outside release route because it's not about you getting open. You can separate and you can win this route, but this isn't seven on seven, right? This isn't, uh, this isn't uh senior bowl one-on-ones. You must release outside and not six inches, not three feet, one foot right of the hash, Release outside and run this route at this exact depth so the whole play works. So this route works too, and this route, and this route, and this route. So I think that, if I had to guess, was Brandon Ayuk's problem early is, is running with the running his routes and executing his job the way Kyle Shanahan wanted to execute. And if you listen to Debo Samuel, he talks about how Kyle Shanahan, which some people forget. You know, I had some people that were like, what? He... Kyle Shanahan was a receiver at Texas. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he was there. Uh, maybe like Roy Williams years, definitely Chris Sims. Right. And, uh, you know, just from his time, maybe understanding the position and, you know, what it entailed for him to be, to even be able to play at that level, you know, not as talented as other guys, but just hard work, effort, and doing those things. And then obviously growing up, 
in a coaching household. Like, I think that makes a big difference, right? When your father was a head coach for a lot of years, you understand, you know, how he, how it moves and he's talking to you about offenses. So, you know, how all these different things kind of work and then you have your vision of it and the receive the one position you can really kind of relate to is that receiver position. And he's clearly the hardest on those guys, but Brandon, I made, made up of the right stuff to be able to get out of the doghouse. And I think when you watch him play, the effort he puts in, you know, blocking 20 yards down the field, uh, you know, just the attention to detail with how he runs his routes. I think you see those things and it's a direct reflection of why maybe he was in the doghouse initially, not doing those things, being productive, but not the way that Kyle wants. And then now uh, the all pro version of Brandon Knight that we've seen. And by the way, Kyle Shanahan wore number 87 as a wide receiver at Texas as a hat tip to Christian Christian McCaffrey's dad, Ed McCaffrey. That's why he wore number 87. That's one I did not know. No, I knew he wore 87. I can even look at how he put his uniform on and his little wristbands. I uh, <laughs> did not know why he wore number 87, though. You got a you got a really good memory for that stuff, Croc, because he was barely on the field at Texas. So uh, <laughs> uh, so look, um, what what is Kyle Shanahan looking for in wide receivers, Croc? Let's say the 49ers, whether they trade Brandon Ayuk or not, um, What's he looking for? Because I remember one of your guys that you really liked last season was A.T. Perry. You know, 6'3", 190-something pounds, really good downfield receiver. And and Kyle Shanahan just doesn't like those guys, right? So what is it about those guys he doesn't like? And what is it about someone like Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk that he likes a lot more? He liked Brandon Ayuk enough to trade up for him. Well, I think the tough thing is Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel are completely different receivers. And they're always different. Like, when you watch... Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk, and just how he worked, how he, uh, you know, made plays, he was a lot different than Debo Samuel. Now, I'd say the one thing that they were maybe close to being similar to was just run after catch ability. Yeah. But even then, you'd see it on the Ayuk film. It wasn't what Debo is. And if you watch Brandon Ayuk now, I don't think he's the greatest run after catch guys. I think the Yak Bros, it kind of, you know, starts with Debo, ends with George Kittle, you know, and there's, and, and maybe you can sprinkle in Juwan Jennings, but I would say out of all those guys, Brandon Ayuk, who can be an explosive receiver downfield and do a lot of things great, the, the, the routes and understanding, you know, leverage and how to manipulate the coverage. He does all those things well. I'm not sure he's as good of route, uh, run after catch as the other guys. So it, I think we can, if you just put a checklist up, you'd say, well, Runs routes well, uh, changes direction good. He focuses on the three cone, um, you know, run after catch, physical uh, mindset, wants to block. And maybe that's just a Kyle guy. And then you and I, we're thinking like, oh, man, like, well, you don't like this, you know, this 6'4", 230-pound receiver named DK Metcalf who can take the top off your defense. Hell, you can have Debo and DK. Kyle's like, mm, nope, doesn't fit. But I will take this guy, Jalen Hurd, a couple picks later. I like a 6'4". 230, as long as he's a, a wide back, and then I'll take him. And that's what getting <laughs> hurt was, too. He could have been the original wide back, and, and we'll never know how that would have turned out for the 49ers. Um, yeah, and, and Ayuk, I think, showed a lot more potential to be a yak guy than in college than, than he's actually been in the NFL. And I think he's developed a lot as a route runner, and you saw that athleticism. He's developed quite a bit. And so that's why I wonder, like, you put all this time and effort in, Brandon Ayuk gets out of the doghouse, becomes a 1,300-yard receiver, did all this development, and then you're going to let him go after – you, you go through all that and get him to where he's what he is now. And so that that's why I don't see the 49ers trading away someone like Brandon Ayuk. Uh, three cone is a big one for a lot of positions. Uh, definitely they do like speed, but play speed over time speed in some cases. 
Um, get off for defensive linemen is huge. So if um, if you're looking for a defensive lineman or a pass rusher that the 49ers might really be interested in, that Chris Kosurik is like, yes, this is my guy and circles his name on the list. It's someone who gets off the ball very quickly. So that's definitely something to to look out for. And they have that drill where the guys, you know, they pull the ball and then the guys jump. That's uh that's a big one too. 10 yard splits, three cones for pass rushers. The 49ers are big on all those. And unfortunately we don't get the GPS numbers. The Niners might like GPS speed tracking more than 40 times, but we don't have access. That was one thing that they were really high on Jair Brown with. Yeah. Not, not a great 40 time, but the like, oh, GPS is what matters. Now, Pink Eye and I saw some things on film where it was like, uh, the GPS matters, but what's going on right here where, you know, a running back is outrunning your really good angle that you potentially have. And I think we saw at different times that pop up, and that's the unfortunate thing. You know, NFL is good on good. Every play is not going to go your way. But we saw sometimes where it's like, oh, there goes that speed. You don't need it till you need it. Joe in the chat asked if there's any 6-4 receivers Kyle would draft. We're not done with evaluations there. We'll bring those up, and uh, I think we are going to do one of those 6-4 receivers from Texas coming up pretty soon. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll find a couple for Kyle in this draft. Looking at offensive linemen, Croc, this is something that's changed a little bit because early on it was like, okay, wide zone, you got to get out and move, and they've, they've sort of shifted to a little bit bigger offensive linemen, but you still got to be able to run block, right? And Running back is an interesting one. They got to go back to the drawing board there, go back to the speed, big playbacks. We've seen Christian McCaffrey dynamic in this offense. We've seen Mostert, Brita, all the guys who've done well in this offense. Then they're like, nope, we're going to get bigger up front. We're going to get bigger backs. We're going to get 230-pound backs. Those guys both failed, third-rounders, back-to-back years, and they need to not go searching for that. Go find the one-cut, crazy explosive burst guys that can hit that hole and make big plays. Go back to that style of running back if you're going to draft a running back. And I'm always down with drafting a day three running back every single year because you, you can't have enough running backs. Um, not a big need for the 49ers right now, though. Right. Now, maybe that long-term guy, though, is there someone that you do identify on the third round? Please, not in the third round. By the way, 49ers just lost TDP. I don't even know if we even really kind of discussed that. but uh, snapped him up. Yeah, you're going to snatch him up. But, yeah, so just don't do it in the third round. Maybe curse there, but – for me, fourth and fifth round, you're, you're starting to have a lot of comp picks in that area. Uh, you don't have to trade up for one of those guys, but I think that's the sweet spot of if you're not drafting a like highly talented uh, running back in the you know high or low sec, uh, first round to like early second round, if you're not drafting one of those guys that are like really talented and kind of have everything like a Brees Hall or something, then that fifth round or late fourth to me kind of seems to be that spot where you can really find some talent at the running back position. Yeah. And, and I'm not against drafting a running back in the third round. If he's a really good player, I didn't really like the players they drafted in the third round specifically and didn't, didn't think they were worthy of those selections with other players that were on the boards in those years. When you're talking about um, TDP, Ty Davis price and um, Trey sermon. But, and, and I said, uh, when, it, when it was 2022 draft, I was like, I would have rather drafted Brees Hall in the second round than Ty Davis Price in the third round. If you're going to draft one, make make sure he's dynamic, make sure he can work in the passing game. And so if there's the right, if there's a guy like that in the third round, it's not, you know, a big deal. Um, it, it has been the guys, the guys that they have drafted 
you and I have have been from the jump like mm. yeah and we're talking about the running back position right like Trey Sermon Ty Davis Price today I watched Ty Davis Price now that I can kind of see if they're looking for like this thumper with kind of a foot in the ground straight line uh has a little bit of power behind him but not not someone it felt like he was very specific as opposed to someone who does a lot of different things like a Brees Hall like Brees Hall is like oh of course. Look right. how he catches the ball at the backfield. Look how he runs, runs the rock. Look how he does this. He would have been offensive rookie of the year if he didn't tear his ACL. Uh, you know, then he comes back last year and he's good again, even though they have like no defense or no offensive line, right? Like, but it was like, you know, look what he did with Brock Purdy. Like it was very clear like how talented he was. Trey Sermon and TDP, they were just like yeah, and with Price too, like there's so many talented running backs, and you can get really good ones late. You're gonna draft a guy who wasn't really even a major contributor on his college football team. Like he just didn't. It was like, man, that's a day two running back. I don't know, man. Maybe you draft a guy who's like his traits. He's he can run pretty well and he's big. But if they're there in the sixth round, sure. But uh, he was never a third round guy for me. And and really, Kyle Shanahan's offense has never done well with the more plotting, bigger bodied running back. You got to have that burst. You got to be able to put your foot in the ground and hit that hole in an instant. And that's what all of his Running. I got a guy. You want to know who the next Raheem Mostert is in this draft crop? I just watched him. He's out of the University of Tennessee. And uh, he's he's big, but he doesn't play big. He plays fast. A little upright, runs very similar to Mostert. Immediately when I saw him, I was like, that is Raheem Mostert. One, A, because he was breaking away with crazy speed. Look out for him the combine. He might throw down four threes. Jalen Wright, 5'11", 210 out of Tennessee. Uh, much like Mostert, he plays like that. Like Mostert's a pretty big guy, but doesn't play necessarily big, but has that crazy burst. Jalen Wright, Tennessee, next Raheem Mostert. Third, fourth round, I'd be okay with with a guy that's that dynamic. Uh, and, and right now he's looking like more of a day three guy. But once he throws, when you're 210 pounds and you throw down four threes at the combine, he, he's going to get into day two probably. Yeah. All right. Combine will be fun. Hopefully we get some coach news by next week. And of course we will have it all covered for you every day. There's going to be tons of interviews. And so we'll get some sound from Kyle and, and especially John Lynch there being interviewed at the 2024 scouting combine and all the other rumors and buzz that tend to happen when the drinks are flowing in Indy and all those uh, anonymous scouts are rubbing elbows. So we will talk to you then right here. Locked on 49ers.